2: Good evening, America. Today is Sunday, August the 4th, 2013, and man, have we got a show for you. Um, As I understand it, I'm going to ask the audience, uh, both uh, nationally and our friends in Australia, the U.K., Canada, and then all the places that you're listening to be patient with us a bit tonight. This is a subject that really, really gets deep um, to just kind of wet your palate a little bit I put a post on Facebook, and I asked this question. Could you imagine yourself dating DMX? And for those of you that don't know who he is, just Google DMX. The guy was a rap star, uh, actually a very talented man, but he is crazy as hell. He's crazier than a mosquito in a beer bottle. Okay, I know you're going, where it. I get that from? I'm in Texas, just, you know, take a deep breath and roll with me. Uh, the other person I know you guys will be familiar with, and that is Kim Kardashian. And then the last example I want to use, or probably not the last one for this evening, but there is a show on VH1 called Love and Hip Hop. If you haven't seen it, you do not want to miss this show. I think the season's are wrapping right now, but I want you to check it out. There's a character on it. His brother's name is Stevie J. So here's what I'm going to say about this. Most people have heard the term narcissist. Now, where does it come from? I'm going to give you a quick rundown about what narcissism is so we won't go mislabeling people, but I'm just going to say this. Individuals with narcissistic personality disorder often will seem to have a very grandiose sense of self-importance. They usually and routinely overestimate their abilities and inflate their accomplishments, often appearing uh, to be boastful and pretentious. Now, I'm going to give you this. Some narcissists, like Chad Ochocinco, the football player, actually did have a reason to be very proud of what he's achieved. But here's the difference. People with narcissistic personality disorder may assume that others attribute the same value to their efforts as they do and may be surprised when the praise they expect and feel they deserve is not forthcoming. Now, the, uh, uh, another thing to look at. People with narcissistic personality disorder are very preoccupied with fantasies of living like Kim and Kanye, like Jay Z and Beyonce. They are uh, success freaks, power freaks. They think they're brilliant. They are very self absorbed in the beauty of themselves, and they uh, just just can't get their minds off of having a long overdue admiration. About themselves. As a matter of fact, these people are so crazy that they feel that they are superior, they're special, they're unique. As a matter of fact, they expect me and you to recognize them as such. They may feel that they can only be understood by or should only associate with A-listers or the people who are, I guess, who we would consider to be celebrities, special, and high places. And they may even attribute their unique, perfect, or gifted abilities to the people whom they associate. These people, individuals, and I'm referring to individuals with narcissistic personality disorder, believe that their needs are special and beyond anybody ordinary like the rest of us. They only want the top people. If they go to a hospital, they want the best doctor. If they go to a beauty salon, they want the owner to do their hair. If they go to a barber shop, they want the guy that owns the shop to cut their hair. In other words, these folks are a walk-in trip. Now, how can you tell that from somebody that just has high self-esteem? Here's the difference. When you have high self-esteem, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe in you, who in the hell else is going to believe in you? If you don't love you, why should someone else love you? But a narcissist goes way, way, way past that. They assume that others are totally concerned about them, and they expect uh, you to worship them and recognize their needs and desires. And I'm going to give you some examples of this. If you go to divonyoung.com right now and look at the blog, I wrote about Kim Kardashian and her mom and her family. That is the perfect example of narcissism. And I'll give an example of this. When Kim goes somewhere, if the, uh, could you imagine how she would feel if the paparazzi was not there? Or the fact that you go to a mall and just because you have money you have to buy the mall? Or if you are doing the Kanye thing or you're doing the... Um, puffy thing, and I'm not going to say these brothers should not celebrate being successful. God knows I'm not hating on them uh, because I used to be that stupid too. But they go everywhere expecting everyone to kiss their butts. They're always, they've always got their feet. They want to be the center of attention. They want all of these things that the rest of us probably, even if we got it, we would be sick of it. The Here's another processes. They are never wrong. If you ask a narcissist, name something that you regret doing, they probably can't think of anything. If you ask a narcissist to uh, admit a shortcoming that they have, they will tell you, I don't have any shortcomings. I've even had people in my office look me in the face and tell me, you know, I don't do anything wrong. I don't make mistakes. I am here to tell you that none of us, including the person that's talking to you right now, it's perfect. None of us go through life without making mistakes. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to pimp-proof you. I'm going to get you to a place, hopefully by the end of this show, that you will be able to look and tell, are you dating somebody that just has high self-esteem or are you dating a damn fool that is really, really throwed off that's really crazy? When we get finished, we're going to have the input uh, and some testimony, which is really going to be happening. Um, I know for a fact my producer Julia has worked so hard to put together some guests, and some of these guests are some of you, the listening audience, from across America, and is and our, our expert that's coming in tonight is joining us all the way from down under in Australia. Julia, tell us who we have for our guests this evening.
4: Yes.
1: We are very honored to welcome Melanie Tonya Evans. She's an international narcissistic abuse recovery expert, author, radio host, and founder of Quanta Freedom Healing. Melanie has experienced and recovered from relationships with individuals with narcissistic personality disorder and has facilitated thriver recoveries for thousands of people worldwide by assisting them to heal from the soul-shattering effects of narcissistic abuse. And I will just say, to throw in a quick personal note, I have dealt with this type of relationship, and I I blamed myself. I had no idea what was going on until I found her website. So she's amazing. You know, have your ears peeled because she doesn't only tell you what you're dealing with, she tells you why you've attracted it into your life, which is huge, and how to stop. So we're thrilled to welcome Melanie today.
2: Wow. Hey, Melanie, hello, are you with us?
0: Julia, and hello, Dr. Young.
2: How are you this evening?
0: I'm great, thank you, and it's lovely to be on.
2: Hey, we are so excited to have you here. I, I want to start this discussion uh, first by You're telling us a little bit about your organization. What caused you to get it started, and what does it do?
0: Yeah, sure, Dr. Young. Well, how I got it started was really a personal uh, cathartic experience for myself, and that was after my first narcissistic uh, abuse situation. I started, I had to heal myself. It was very much a life or death situation. It was something that just took me to a whole level of depth of total breakdown that I never even believed was possible. And through healing myself, I actually started working out how to get out of the throes of that and I started writing articles and putting things out there. I was already a healer, I was already a kinesiologist. And I was amazed at the people that came forward who were saying, your story is my story. So I really realized it was just an incredibly global issue. And it really went from there. And then after my second narcissistic abuse experience, it really took it all to another level again. And I think that um, I say to people, you know, quite sort of affectionately, I obviously had to do some more research and that's why that experience happened, that now there is an enormous community that's connected with MTE, which is Melanie Tony Revins, and that is about specifically about narcissistic abuse recovery and what's been absolutely fantastic is there's been so many people in the community that have been able to recover from narcissistic abuse and actually come out the other side of it even better and more empowered than what they were before it happened to them.
2: Gotta ask you a question. What well, I heard you say was there were, you know, the second relationship with a narcissist. Now, I equate dating crazy folks to uh, you don't know they're crazy because when you meet people, it's not like they have on a T-shirt and they pull the shirt open, you see the writing on the T-shirt saying, hey, I'm an idiot, and then, you know, you can just kind of run off. So these people I know are typically uh, very doing a lot of bravado, they are really big on bringing attention to who they are, what they have. Uh, the, you know, mm-hmm. they, they love to flash, and, you know, in America we call mm-hmm. it the bling thing. i got to ask you this, though, Melanie. What in the heck is it that you think makes us not only attract this person to us once, or this personality type to us once, what is it that we're lacking that we go and bring somebody like this into our lives twice? Sure.
0: Well, the first thing I want to say is that a narcissist doesn't walk into your life looking like a narcissist. Their, their warning signs are very, very subtle. Narcissists are shamalons. They're actually a false self. And what's happened is they've got such a damaged true self through usually childhood wounds, they've submerged that, behind that, and what they've created is a grandiose false self in its place. Now, it's a pathological self, so that means narcissists... Are pathological wires so and they actually have an incredible ability to read body language to search nuances to actually get into somebody's inner landscape very very quickly by appealing to them as the most generous open warm humble loving gentle Um, love bombing is another expression that comes with narcissists. Narcissists will actually work out everything that you like and they will be that person for you so they mesh very very quickly to you. They work out who you are and that is all about hooking you to be able to start extracting narcissistic supply from you which is all about uh, attention and significance and and worthiness. Now the matches that happen, I call us dependent the people that are the other side of the coin. Now, codependent is a pretty broad term, but really what it means is is that you're trying to seek something outside of yourself to give you more of yourself. So you're actually not a solid sense of self. Now, narcissists are the epitome of that. They're actually the, the, the most classic version of a human being And we actually have to use that phrase in inverted commas for a narcissist, unfortunately, because there's really actually no real self there. It's completely disintegrated. It's a complete false pathological self. So a narcissist has no sense of self. So what that means is that a narcissist, every single day of their life, needs narcissistic supply, like a heroin addict needs heroin. They need to have reflected back to them some sort of attention or significance Otherwise, the internal self-demonizing voices of you, I'm you're no good, you're a piece of rubbish, who could love you, they're actually self-annihilating to the narcissist. So he or she has to get out in the world and get attention. So narcissists come at people in a very, very expert way that they've had to learn to emotionally survive from a very young age to hook that person and start extracting energy from them. And with codependents, codependents are often very, very capable people. So on a practical level, codependents initially really struggle with the thing that I'm not self-sufficient because they're usually very good at coping in their life. They're usually very good at uh, looking after people, being accountable, doing the right thing. They get up, they get the job done, they dust themselves up, they get up again. Codependents are very high-functioning in life. But yet, at an emotional level, at an emotional self-sufficiency level, most codependents have a really deep fear of being rejected, of being abandoned, of not being approved of. So they tend to, the narcissist comes into their life as the dream partner. Everything that they thought they wanted. And often codependents have had difficult or painful childhoods. difficult or painful relationships and then it's like oh my gosh this person is my savior this person is the person that I want and especially too with what's known as the altruistic narcissist which only really nutted out this year powerfully for the community they can be the most glorious rescuing loving people in between narcissistic bouts however their narcissistic bouts are identical to a classic narcissistic bout. And, you know, I mean, I'd love to get into some information about what that is so you actually know. But you're, you're hooked. And the thing is, there is an incredible hooking aspect that goes on with a narcissist because they literally have positioned themselves to make you totally dependent on them. It's known as Stockholm Syndrome. It's known as trauma bonding. And it's actually a chemical addiction that happens within you that means it is not like any relationship issues or breakups you would have ever experienced on any sort of level. It's it's incredibly Okay, Melanie, let me me
2: interject something. I've got to ask a question. And I apologize for interrupting you, but I've got to ask a question. That was a lot of information, and thank God this show is archived because I want people to hear it all. But here's where I want to go back to. Most people that are narcissistic, they definitely do have a self-esteem issue. And you mentioned the term uh, codependence. And what I advocate sometimes is in a healthy codependent relationship, you got bacon, I got eggs, let's get together and make breakfast. But when we end up in a relationship where you have two people that are basically placating and validating each other in broken places, you are setting up a hot mess. Now, I'm going to say this for the listening audience because – a lot of people do not have uh do not have this on and I'm gonna have a a um I'm gonna have a psychiatrist join the show a little bit later. But but the thing I wanna bring to the awareness for the audience now is that when you meet someone and they are always preoccupied with and are the small subtle signs uh, you know how they look, how other people regard them. And then that you start noticing that this isn't just, you know, wanting to look good and, and have a, an effective presentation. It actually is a need, and I'm going to put in bold letters and underscore and put parentheses on the word need for constant attention and admiration. Do you think that when you found yourself in this situation that you were playing into that because you likewise had a need for attention and this person fulfilled a void that was missing, and I guess in your psyche with the stuff that they were saying, you know what, Uh, just like a superhero on TV, I'm going to rescue you, but you had no clue how how the flight was going to be once they scooped you up and took off into the clouds.
0: Mm. Yeah, look, definitely. And for me personally, and I think this is quite consistent with a lot of people, is I had a deep fear of abandonment. And that really was my core wound. And this person, you know, being so attentive, so loving, so present, so wanting to be in my life, you know, so wanting to combine a life. And then, you know, really coming across as having the identical morals and the values about monogamy and all sorts of things, which actually ended up all being pathological. That. You know, and and really, you know, this person presented as absolutely, you know, everything that I wanted to see and with the altruistic narcissist, I believe that I had the warning signs, you know, down quite packed, which was from the first experience with the narcissist and this one presented actually quite differently. But then again, that is, you know, and I've evolved too, but that's what people have to really, really understand is that the narcissist can present really as the person that you want in your life and can be very gentle and very humble and and all sorts of things. But you do start to see warning signs and they may take a while. And I think the really important thing here is, and it actually isn't necessarily about somebody who is totally consumed with their looks. Women narcissists are more uh, defined that way. Male narcissists, it can be money. It can be sad. It can be achievement. It doesn't have to be looks. You know, so wow, you really, okay, really let's do this. really need to know all the nuances.
2: Yeah. Okay, here's what I want to do. We're going to take a quick break. America, you're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. We will be right back. We're going to take a call Our phone lines are lit up. So if you give us about 45 seconds, we'll be right back. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne. In America, you're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Today, we are talking about being in the wrong dang relationship with the wrong person, and I'm talking about that vampire of a lover, the narcissist. Uh, we're talking about narcissists, and the one thing about this personality type is these people tend to form friendships, even romantic relationships only if the other person is likely to advance their purposes or otherwise enhance their self-esteem. They often usurp special privileges, extra resources that they believe they deserve because they're so special. And, the, and the, what's really crazy about this is the narcissistic personality is the one that brings that will uh, bring you into a relationship only to pimp you. Now, you have to ask yourself a question. Um, how is this happening? What is my, compre- uh, my co- uh, contribution to this, and what is it that I can do to kind of make myself aware that before this boat goes way out to sea that I am on the wrong boat with this thing? We're talking um, this evening with a expert, uh, an expert on narcissism, Melanie uh, Tania Evans. Uh, Melanie, you were telling us before we went to break that some of these narcissists, have perfected and crafted ways of presenting to us the things that we want, almost like that vampire tapping on a window in a horror, horror movie to get them to let us in. Could you elaborate more on that?
3: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely, definitely. And that's what's very, very important to understand, because things like the DSM explanation of narcissism is it really doesn't cover it. It doesn't cover it in a general community. I mean, I released an article, which was a couple of weeks ago, you with a narcissist. And the reason I did that is because despite all of my information, I get emails every week from people. Is this person really a narcissist? Is this person really a narcissist? Because things like you know, expecting to be recognized as superior and special, there are times in between narcissistic bouts where the narcissist isn't being that at all. He can act and be or she can act and be anything you want them to act and be. But people say, well, yeah, but this person can be humble. This person can be really nice. This person can be, you know, this person can really fit in. So there's so many, to me, and, and with the work that I've done with thousands of people and my own experiences, there are certain things that you will know point blank you are with somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder and unfortunately those things are not out there. People don't realize until it's way too late. So, you know, Dr. Yanni, if it's okay with you, I'd really like to share some of those things because I think people need to know them.
2: Okay. What I want to do is I'm I'm going to try again. We had a little technical problem. Uh, let's try this again. Uh, Julia, can we try to get our guest back on now?
1: I believe Monica's holding. Monica, are you there?
2: Yes, I am. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the show tonight. I would like for you to share with us your experience in dating a narcissist.
5: Not just dated him. I married him.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. This is going to be good. Go ahead.
5: Yes. He... um, Swept me off my feet, wine me, dine me, all the romantic trappings. Got me to quit my job, sell my house, and move to Florida with him where we got married. And um, six months into the marriage, then the whole person came out.
2: Tell me what you mean by when you say the whole person came out. Uh, Tell me the ugly signs that reared their heads after those six months.
5: He actually told me that he set out to capture me.
2: He used the term capture you?
5: Yes, that's the term. Like you
2: capture an animal? Yes. So in hindsight, if you were looking back at this, Describe some of these things that you ignored that, in hindsight, you could see were obvious red flags.
4: His
5: opinion of women, but he would always exclude me. You understand what he would say?
2: Tell me what he'd say. Give me the actual commentary that he would make.
5: He would tell me about a previous marriage or relationship and how... The woman mistreated him, or she didn't act the way he he thought she should act. Therefore, he don't trust women. And I would always okay, ask him. Mm-hmm. Good. I would always ask him, "Well, what are you doing with me?"
2: Okay, let me let me go back, I, and I've got to dig deeper. And one, I know that it's it's uh, really a courageous thing to do to share a story with millions of people, but I need to ask you specifically what did he say? Give me just concrete examples of derogatory statements he'd make critical statements that he would make around about women.
5: He would say they are snakes they can't women can't be trusted his His first wife gave him a hard time and um he don't have any have any faith in women because uh the way his sisters behave or the way his mother behaves.
2: Okay, let me ask you this. Were the other behaviors, things he did, was he mean? Was he rude to waitresses? Like what I what I know about these personality types is when they go out to a restaurant, for example, they the waitress isn't good enough. Or one minute they really love someone but the minute that person doesn't live up to whatever they think, all of a sudden they go from being an angelic figure to the devil. And and I'm going to – let me preface that because there are times when people, you do give a chance, end up being full of crap. But what I'm talking about is did you see evidence where he was a sexist or where he was a racist or where – because I can hear the one underlying statement that you keep making is that he kept playing himself out – to be this little poor victim that everyone else took advantage of. Would you say that there were things that you heard him say or you saw him do before you ever packed your stuff and moved to Florida that told you, hell no, I should not do this?
5: Oh, no, no. Everything was perfect. So I made that move.
2: So once you made the move, all of a sudden he blindsided you. Tell me the day that you got your wake-up call. What did you see?
5: It was about two weeks after we got married. We were packing up to come back to Jersey to visit. And he was yelling at his father.
2: What was he saying?
5: He called them stupid and slow. And, you know, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's daddy. He's he's like almost 90 years old. You know, ease up on him. Oh, well, the So
2: bride, you saw right then he had no boundaries.
4: Right. Because to yell at
2: right. a 91-year-old man, you are an asshole. So right. what else did he do? I mean, he's yelling at, he's saying he can't trust women. He's yelling at a 90-year-old man. Give me one other thing that was the straw that broke the camel's back for you.
5: When he told me that he didn't want me to have any contact with my family.
2: Well, yeah, that's a big red. Ladies, as well as gentlemen, anytime you are dating someone that you see that wants to remove you From your friends and your family, that is a huge red flag because that is a tactic that one other entity that I know uses, and that entity is named evil, or for some of us we say the devil, for some of us we call it Satan. But I'm here to tell you, America, that that will manifest itself in the form of boo. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the person you thought was all that in a bag of chips, you reach bag down into the bag of chips, and that crunchy sound that's being made at the bottom is not chips, it's roaches. So I want to warn you that when someone starts getting ready to uh, set you aside and move you back so that they can corner you and sequester you and have you all to themselves, that is a red flag. Would you agree with that, Melanie? Yes,
0: I would. And not all narcissists will actually do that, but there are a lot that do. But most narcissists now, definitely to want to enmesh and have a lot of time with you and have you exclusively to themselves. Absolutely.
2: So, in other words, we see... The presentation of not only a critical behavior, but we see a controlling behavior. Now, I I want you to hear this, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm going to go a little bit further with some clinical stuff about narcissists and their presentations. The first one is that, and we're going to bring a psychiatrist on in a minute. Julia will introduce her shortly, but I'm going to just say this, so please pay attention. The sense of entitlement combined with a lack of sen- a sensitivity to the wants and needs of other people may result in the conscious or the unwitting exploitation of others by narcissists. They expect to be given whatever they want or they feel they need, no matter what it might mean to you. And now I'm going to give an example. These individuals may expect great dedication from you and will overwork the crap out of you and not even pay attention to the impact that it has on your lives. And this is and they tend to form not only just romantic relationships like this, but friendships too. So you may be enabling a narcissist and it's your friend. It does not have to be the person that's your friend with benefits, but I'm talking about girlfriend, your homeboy, and they always make this other person, meaning you, uh, do whatever they need you to do because it helps their self-esteem. They will even usurp special privileges, extra resources that they believe that they deserve, and and I'm going to give an example of this. It's the kind of thing where they will go and ask you to give them a ride somewhere, not compensate you for your gas complain that you picked them up late, that you're driving bad, and then even on top of that, they won't even thank you for doing it. And if you see someone that does this constantly, and I'm going to underscore didn't pay for your gas, didn't thank you, complained about you picking them up, or they will go borrow your damn car, pick you up from late, and then look at you crazy when you ask them why they were late. Now, here's another thing. Individuals with narcissistic personality disorder generally uh, just have difficulty recognizing that what they're doing to other people they assume that other people are just totally concerned about them and they never ever are concerned about them and not only that they're impatient they uh only want to talk about their concerns they only recognize their needs their desires in other words you only matter when you benefit them. So with that said, I wanted to go take this deeper and get a psychiatrist on. Julia, do we have our psychiatrist, our uh, resident expert in so in right now?
1: Yes, we do have Dr. Felder on the line.
2: Hi. Diane, are you there?
1: Yes, I'm here.
2: Would you uh, thank you for, I know you are so busy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Diane just got her new mansion, so if she sounds windy, because her girl is walking back and forth in that too big house. Uh, Diane, tell us tonight, what the hell is wrong with a narcissist? What is going on in their brain that makes these people so selfish and so crazy, number one? And, B, have you ever experienced one yourself?
3: Um, yes, I have, and everything that I'm gonna tell you that characterized them is actually one of the ones that I experienced. First of all, I think we have to remember that seventy five percent of narcissists are men. And you know, I was really um taken by that question to say, Why do we become attracted to these people? You have to realize that narcissistic people are in love with themselves so they present as well put together. They're usually very attractive. They're very successful. Um they um can have accomplished um lots of things. And in particular I think what why I was misled is because they are so they present so well that they have daily goals. And when we're looking for a we're looking for someone who's setting goals um who has um a lot going on. The problem with that is that the narcissist is so into themselves that their daily goals are just to get admiration from others so that if, say, they set a goal, they're looking for someone to praise them. And the problem is that you cannot praise them enough. No matter how much time you spend, you can't praise them enough. And so eventually they will start doing things to manipulate you. We, when they're uh, in a relationship with them, you know, if it comes to a point where they become abusive, for instance, they will put you down. They will often say, forget birthdays. You know, I lived with one for 20 years that couldn't remember my birthday but had really big birthday party bashes for himself. And they minimize you and say, well, it's not important to me. They they also will react if you don't give them the admiration that they want. For instance, you may disagree with them and out of the blue they'll become rageful, they can become very aggressive, they can even become physically aggressive. They tend not to be, though, what they specialize in is making you look small to other people so that when you're trying to um, convince someone that there's a problem, most people think you're the problem. And that's how they mislead everyone. They will go as far as even using the children, for instance. They may abuse the children. They may abuse the pets when you're not around to make themselves um, look good, but also to make other people think that you're causing the problem. And as you pointed out that they don't trust others, this really comes from um, most of them, when they're growing up, they get mixed messages from parents, and you may have a good parent or a bad parent, so they tend to identify with the aggressive parent. And because of that, they end up having a low self-esteem, and so while they present as having all this high self-esteem, it's really coming from the people that's around them. And in order to keep that going on, they have to play mind games with you. They have to. I'm on the right hand side of the face? I'll just put yeah. it on the edge.
2: Okay, I'm going to interject real quick. A couple of things that I just want America to pay attention to. Uh, There was an incident this last year. If we watched the show Basketball Wives on BH1, there was a woman, two narcissists got married, basically. There was a woman named Evelyn on that show, beautiful girl, ugly personality, and every time you looked up, Evelyn was always... Uh, the the person that was bullying and hitting on people and beating on people. And then the middle one put their foot in Evelyn's butt. She quickly turned into the victim as if all of this malficient behavior uh, that she had done. I'm not talking about when Chad did it. I'm talking about a woman did it on the show. So the next thing you know, Evelyn goes past that, and she marries Chad Ochocinco uh, the former football star. He, I think he played with the Bengals, and then he was with Miami. And all of a sudden, Chad, a narcissist just like Evelyn, you know, these two idiots got together. He headbutts her and throws his career down the drain. And, again, he becomes the victim. It is not that you shouldn't hit women, you shouldn't headbutt her. It was his passionate love for Evelyn that caused him to lose it because he loved her so much. In other words, he was going to make her be the victim because he loved her so much. Another example of this is I remember Kim Kardashian crying like a baby because America did not understand her. When, in fact, Kim is one of the most arrogant narcissistic people you'll ever meet. But if you look at the public persona, it's soft-spoken, quiet, loving Kim. And if you guys are going to write me, get the typing because I really don't care. This show is meant to help a lot of people. But the worst narcissist that I'm going to point out on this program and, and this is uh, something I want to ask you about, Diane. There's a character named Stevie J, and he's on Love and Hip Hop, and he just fit the description that both you and Melanie just gave, as well as the one that I guess Monica just presented a moment ago. Uh, he's always buying women gifts. He I, he gave his uh, daughter's mother a BMW. Another young lady, he gave her a TV when her house got broken into uh, this other girl was a stripper and really came, I thought she was just crazy as hell, but after I investigated, did my homework, she came from a impoverished, drug-laden community in Puerto Rico, you know, grew up without hardly anything, ran away from home at 16, and he dangled a career. But every time he she pisses him off, what he does is he throws in her face. You were a stripper you weren't anybody till you met me and he did he did fashion a legitimate career for this girl she is making a goob and gob money that more money than she's ever made in her life but he keeps self depreciating her so this last week they showed on they revealed on the show she bought him an engagement ring and when he you know he placated her and right when he got ready to accept the ring he went right back in and began manipulating his child's mother with this broken woman. So tell me this, uh, Dr. Diane, is there ever an off switch for a narcissist or are these people just really always in an ambush and, to use Monica's term, ambush and capture mode? Uh,
3: they- are always in ambush and capturing mode unless they decide that they have have a character flaw, which means that means that majority of them will never ever get help. And what they're doing, I mean what's so typical is that oftentimes they will they will give you just enough. Like they'll buy you things so that you can then think, oh, he loves me or she loves me just to keep you in just enough, and then they would discredit you to make themselves look bad. They will talk about, you. for instance, I was married to a narcissist, and I'm a physician, but he would introduce me to people as a psychologist, and everyone knew that there was a difference between an MD and a psychologist. But then they'll turn around and buy you flowers just to keep you in. They'll create an argument. Eventually, you get exhausted trying to make them feel good, So they will create an argument, and while you're trying to pull away from them, all they do is go to another woman or another man and then have a rendezvous with that person, and then they come back, and that's why you see these on-again, off-again relationships, but they're not relationships that are genuinely in love. They're just seeking out whoever will um, put them on a pedestal. My experience with working with narcissists and the history shows that they don't get better unless first they have to acknowledge that they have a character flaw, which most of the time they do not, then they have to actually get into therapy to look at how they're treating other people.
2: What do you suggest we do to fix such a problem, Diane?
3: Well, one is that I think it's important that all of our listeners really examine their relationships and see if they find that they're getting more than they're getting from the relationship because that's the first step. Then the second step is that they should never get into an argument. They should never confront that narcissist. But also they have to stop giving that narcissist excessive admiration and feeding into their ego. We have to stop doing that. And then we have to stop blank taking the blame. We often blame ourselves. Let's
2: back up, Diane. Back up. Back up for me. When you said feeding into their ego, give me ways that people feed in these people's egos.
3: For instance, we will, um, they may come home, you know, they miss, say they miss your anniversary, and then they decide, well, let me give you my example. It's Valentine's Day. Everyone in the office is getting getting Valentine's um, flowers. I get something 7 o'clock at night that's on their way home, that afterthought. Instead of me, you know, just saying, not accepting that, I pretend that that was a great gesture. So what I'm doing is I'm I'm giving them that admiration they want for something that's not deserving.
2: Okay, okay. Melanie, uh, I understand uh, we have you back uh, we
3: make,
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, let me let me ask you this. I want to count on it. I'm not cutting you off, Diane. I just want to get both of you because you guys are the experts on this. Melanie, give me an example of what we can do to first kind of stop this from happening in its tracks. What is the one thing that you would say, uh, the first thing you do, girlfriend or uh, guy, when you see you're dealing with a narcissist is to stop doing blank? Mm. It's
0: got to be no contact. Absolutely. So it's about saying and we're addicted. We're addicted to a narcissist when we're hooked by a narcissist. It's a physiological trauma bonding addiction. So everything is going to push you to try and rehook to the narcissist. Logically, you know they're destroying me. They've done the most disgusting things. They've been abusive, malicious, smear campaigns, abuse by proxy, they've had sex with other people. You know that logically. But everything emotionally in you is hooking to them you can't stop yourself going back to the addiction so you've got to pull no contact and then what my program does is about you get your focus off the narcissist, you get into yourself and you start working at healing subconsciously your inner wounds to fill your gaps and your holes so that you are not a match for abuse anymore and that's what i do to create Thrive recoveries
2: now, now, uh, bouncing back to you, Diane. Is there something that we can spot in ourselves that should be a red flag to say, you know what, I am tripping. I am as much part of this problem as this fool that's abusing and taking me for granted. What? Give me an example of something that we. Can spot. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, hang on a second. My producer just sent me a note. We have a call. I want to try to get some of these callers in. Julie, who do we have on the line?
1: We have Aisha. She had an experience like me. She said she was listening and didn't really know what narcissism was, and just had a light bulb moment. But I'll let her tell you about it.
2: Hi, Aisha. This is uh, Doctor Young. Your own. Tell us your story.
4: Hi, Doctor Young. Um. Yeah, like, I'm listening to everything that you guys are saying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, that's what the problem is. Um, I'm with someone who constantly says, um, like, when he gets mad or whatever, it's like the most important person in his life is him. Um, Or he'll try to convince me that I'm insecure or or I have, like, a low self-esteem. You know, like, he gets mad if I um, I don't show enough appreciation to him. Now, mind you, I just moved from Oregon to California to be with this person. Me and this person talked for three years before we went ahead and got into an actual relationship. And, I mean, he did all the talking, said all the right things, apparently the right things, because I moved from Oregon and came to California. So, I mean, it's crazy that these people actually are walking on the earth. Like, I thought he was just possessed, like, by the devil or something. But, I mean, like, this is actually a disorder. This is crazy.
2: Okay, stop, stop. I've got to ask a question. Okay, Monica just said she moved from one part of the country to another part of the country. You just said the exact same thing. Uh, What is it that happened when you noticed, the huge change tell me your first really big train stop red flags gates go down warning that told you oh crap you know this is not the person that I've been talking to for the last three years what was it
4: um let's see oh my goodness there was a lot um like in the first 30 days that we had we had a falling out we had an argument can't really remember what the argument was about it was Probably something really stupid, but um. Oh no no no! I remember what it was. He had made a comment saying that saying that he was going to go to you know his where his, where he grew up at in Stockton, California, and he wanted to. Um, he said he was going to take a few things, um, and I'm like, well, you know, you have all of these female friends. Like, I'm not sure if I trust that. You know, and so then he blows up, like, he blows up, like, what the? What do you mean and all this type of stuff? And, well, I'm used to people putting me out, so I'm used to being the problem, so I'll just get out. I'll just get away from you, you know, because you're so insecure and you just, you're, like, it was me, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, you just said that you were going to soften, and, and you just told me somebody that you say you want to marry that you're going to pack a few things when you leave. I'm not the crazy one. Like, why would you say something like that? And from that moment, like from ever since that argument, every single time there's an argument, he always tries to victimize himself. He always says, "Well, you know, I'm used to being the problem. Um, I, I know that I'm the problem. I know how to make adjustments. So I'll just do this. I'll just do that. You you don't have to worry about me. I'll just, I'll, I'll be homeless." And he just tries to victimize himself to make me feel bad about whatever it is that's going on, and I'm like, thinking in the back of my head, like, I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, I know I'm not uh, crazy.
2: i got to ask you a question. Are you still mm-hmm. with this guy?
4: I am still in contact yes with or no. this person. I am still in no. contact with this person.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm not. I'm going to ask you, and, and I want to do this, Isaiah, in love. I'm going to ask you this in love, okay? hmm You ready? I'm ready. Okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> do a wusa. Just do that because I'm getting ready to ask you this: What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, why are I you with this fool? I want to know, no, no, and I don't it. even want you to answer it. I really want you to think about that. But Melanie and Diane, I want you to answer that question: Why the hell did she take this idiot back, and she's still dealing with him? And no, no, Diane's other psychiatrist, you the answer thing. this first.
4: I, I haven't taken him back. I I said I'm in contact with him. I've actually made him get out. I've put him out completely. And I was listening to one of the one of the specialists talking, and they were saying that no contact is the best thing. And but currently, I'm still in contact with this person. Yes, I so do why? talk to him on I, phone. I want
2: to ask. I understand that because you're human. So I'm not really trying to like go hard on you. Because I've done the same stupid thing, too, dating a damn fool, and I stayed staying in contact with him. But I do want to yeah. ask, Diane, why do we do this?
3: The reason why we do this with a narcissist because a narcissist will pick out a victim, and most of us who are in these relationships have a low self-esteem. So that's part of why Melanie was saying we have to get out. You have to get out. You have to get around other other people because the narcissist wants to isolate you and make you think that it's something wrong with you, and we start to believe that it's something wrong with us. We take all the blame. That's the reason why you have to get out the relationship, and you really may need to seek some professional help, but it has to do with our own low self-esteem, and that narcissist has a way of validating us with giving us just a little bit just enough to give us that little hope, but it has really to do with our own self-esteem. We don't feel good about ourselves, so we stay in relationship with a narcissist.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, Melanie, what's your side to this?
0: Mm. Physical trauma bonding. It is physiological. I've Let, let's go back. Describe what situation. physical trauma bonding Absolutely. is. Sorry, yes, you there? Yeah. So fear of abandonment and, and things like that. I have had previous relationships with people that have been wrong or abusive or whatever and said, look, see you later, it hurts, bye, etc. Narcissists aren't like that. There is so many aspects in there that hook you, addict you. You have a thing called repetitive compulsion disorder. You never know what the narcissist is or isn't doing. You're actually focused on it. They've done experiments with rats to prove this theory. You you are literally addicted. You've lost yourself, and the narcissist is positioned as your tormentor and your god. You know, you you are literally chemically, emotionally bonded to the narcissist, for better or for worse. It's an incredible addiction. I've worked with heroin okay, addicts that say have this. said that getting off heroin was easier than getting off a narcissist. Well, <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. There's yeah.
2: this thing called prior commitment bias. And and what that is is we commit to something and rather than look like we failed, we just stay with it because we don't want to go back on our words. We don't want our friends or family members to think, Okay, yes, yeah, see there's another relationship that he or she is in uh huh. How many people have they gone through now? So we will stay in this stuff, trying to get it to work, America. I just want to inform you the show is going to run about five minutes over because I really want to get to the bottom of this and I I want to have us, um, you know, have my guests give you the context. But we're going to go probably five to seven minutes over. So just please stay with us. But what what I want to say is that I want us as just decent people to realize that these narcissistic folk are out there. Uh, earlier we heard uh, Dr. I am Felder, say that, you know, 75% of these things are, are people with this issue are men, but I do want to warn you the 25% that are women, they damn sure make up for it and because and, and, there are a lot of good men that get hurt too. There are a lot of good women that get hurt too. And what I want us all to be aware of is the central themes of this conversation. The first central theme is low self-esteem. Now, with that said, you do not have to be walking around like little like like you are an old slave or something uh, wearing a crocus to have low self-esteem. As a matter of fact, I was bawling, so to speak, driving the, the overpriced car and smelling and looking half decent. And I had low self-esteem. I know many women that are beautiful. As a matter of fact, uh, you would be surprised in the disproportionate number of beautiful so-called whatever your standard of beauty is, people that have low self-esteem. I want to ask two questions, and I'm going to ask one, and, you know, then I want to give everybody a chance to kind of wrap this thing up because this could go on and on. Uh, First, this question goes to Melanie. Melanie What if you were going to give us one big piece of advice about getting our self-esteem back? What would you say Mm. to us to to really realize we have low self-esteem, number one, and what can we do to get it back?
0: We have to do the work on ourselves. We have to self-develop. We have to self-evolve. And we have to really let go of the props and the crutches or the addictions or the obsessive-compulsive tendencies we might have that we're trying to fill ourselves with. We have to learn how to be a self-fulfilled, whole, self-respecting individual. And that means working on yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mm-hmm. That's good. That's pretty good. What would you say to that, Diane, if you were going to say there's one thing that we could spot that is a sign that we have low self-esteem? Because some of us are walking around with a Rolex on and some red-bottom shoes and brush our teeth and comb our hair that day, and we think we have cute. But the truth is we have low self-esteem. What would you say would be a sign of low self-esteem, Diane?
3: Um, I, I find the biggest sign of low self-esteem is when, you are constantly putting the needs of someone else ahead of yours when that person can convince you that whatever it is they need comes before whatever is your better good. And and with that, um, you know, I, I do want to just make sure I emphasize this, is that when you're dealing with a narcissistic personality, that's one of the most toxic relationships you can have because that relationship just gradually eats at your self-esteem. And, and and when it comes to the point, by the time you recognize that he's a, or she's a narcissist and you're into it, more than likely your love, your, they, have, they have helped degrade you so much that I recommend that anyone that's in that type of relationship seek out some help, whether it's, you know, with a spiritual guide, whether it's with a personal coach or a professional counselor or a church member or a sister, someone that they can go to because your senses are blinded right now. Most people in a relationship with a narcissist have a false sense of who they are and they don't see things as they should, and that's the goal of the narcissist, to isolate you. Just like you said earlier, that's the same goal of Satan, to isolate you so no one can shed light on it.
2: That is really interesting. I want to say this, and uh, then I I would like for... Uh, to extend this offer while I have these to my guests if they're still on the line.
4: Uh,
2: do you, either of you, uh, Monica of uh, do you have anything you would like to ask either uh, Melanie or Dr. Diane? And first, Monica. Uh,
5: yes. Um, in the healing process, we are supposed to disconnect all contact with that person. Am I correct? In the case Melanie, of you made the that
0: children with so then modified contact, but to heal, absolutely. It has to be no contact or modified contact only if you need to through third parties.
5: Thank you Did very you much. Did you hear that,
2: Monica? She said yes. absolutely or only through a third party. And I'm assuming that's only if you got a kid or somebody's school. because if you came in my office and you asked Dr. Young, I've got somebody that's uh, that's got me feeling self-depreciated, that's sucking the life out of me. I'm going to tell you, you know what, leave that fool alone, because as long as you hold on to what you have given yourself, what God is trying to give you cannot come along. And another thing that I would tell you, and you guys write this one down, mediocrity is the worst of the best and the best of the worst. So, you know, that is definitely not the way to go. Uh, Monica, thank you for being on the show. Aizia, what would you ask one of my experts since we've got them both here?
4: Um, I guess, like, for me, for me, like, I'm in, I'm away from all of my family and everything. So it's like I think that's why I probably do continue to stay in contact with this person because, like, I feel like I, there's nobody else here. So for me, how would I stop, you know, like, how do I stop? Like, what advice could you give me to just leave this person alone because I really want to leave this person alone?
2: Diane, you answer first, and then, Melanie, you answer that.
3: Right. Um, One is you probably need to erase that person's number from your cell phone and all all contacts and put them on do not answer. Then, two, there are other organizations, and you can seek out a church body. Um, you can seek out friends uh, or, or look and find support, Women support groups. There are usually those in cities because, you know, women have been abused or, or even men's support groups. You can seek out, you know, a counselor to help you out with that and looking outside of that person for your social contact. And then use your family. You may have to spend more time on the cell phone because I'm in a different state, but when I was going through it, I called my family. I called my best friend, and everyone knew that because they were willing to help me, they were all willing to take my calls even two o'clock in the morning, so I didn't make that call.
4: Okay.
2: No, that's good. Okay. What What advice would you give, them, Melanie?
3: That's
0: all great advice, definitely on a practical level. On a, an emotional level, which is you know really where the hooks are just just so big, I'd really. Um, recommend you, you can actually go to my website and download a no contact book and really read that. I think once you really understand what is going on, when you actually really understand what the narcissist is doing, which is sucking narcissistic supply from you, and how they're retaining contact by using every hook and every one of your weaknesses that they've identified against you, because you would know in those conversations you're having with him, they're insane. You're going around Mm -hmm. in circles, you're getting hooked, you're getting devastated again, you're getting false hope, and then you're getting the rug pulled out from underneath you. When you understand the dynamic of what's actually going on, that's when you step back and you say, you know what, I am not going to have narcissistic supply sucked out of me anymore. That's enough, I'm done with it. You really need to get clear about what's happening. That is some
2: good stuff. Uh, I want to uh, just go ahead and bring this to closure tonight. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that there is somebody out there that will love you, but how can they love you if you don't love yourself properly? People treat you the way that you allow them to treat you. Um, I have a best-selling book called Break Up, Don't Break Down. You can go to devonyoung.com and order that book. I suggest you order it from us. You'll get it a hell of a lot faster than you will from Barnes & Noble or Amazon. But the, uh, there's a lot of material out there, and knowledge is power. So um, going back to what both of you shared, both Monica and uh, Isaiah, uh mentioned, is that these people get you and they isolate you. They have you translocate, and you end up being in a place where, They basically have put you where you don't have any resources but the people they introduce you to, or you have to start over. Well, baby, let me tell you something. Starting over ain't all that difficult when you get the trash out the way. So you throw these people out of your life and start exploring first self. Start looking within because there's some really good stuff bottled up in you that has been just sitting there and forming itself and been basically in a cocoon waiting for such a time as now to reveal itself. So with that said, uh, before we get out of here, I would like uh, first, Melanie, tell us how we can get in contact with you, what's your website. I know you're in Australia, but, you know, you can definitely, the world is flat when it comes to the computer and electronic downloads. So how can people get your information and get in contact with you?
0: It is, yeah. Look, if you go to www.melanietonia, which is tonia com, and you go to my website, and there there's actually two free eBooks and two free audios, which is really going to help you understand what's going on and what you need to do to heal.
2: And you said free, right? You said three yeah, audios and three e-books, right?
0: Yes, two free ebooks and two free audios that are going to really help wow. you get on this journey of recovery.
2: Sounds fantastic. I appreciate you being on the show tonight. Uh, Dr. Diane is our resident uh, psychiatrist and expert for my show as well as a good friend. How can people get in contact with you, Diane, or the resources that you would refer them to?
3: Um, they can contact me at... Diane J. Felder, D-I-A-N-E-J-F-E-L-D-E-R at com.
2: Okay. I appreciate both of you taking your time out uh, for the show. For the callers, we did not get to tonight. Uh, thank you for calling in, but there was just so much content on here. I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we've got two experts on this. This is a much bigger issue than what many of us believe to be. A lot of us think we're immune to this, but I'm here to tell you, uh, you know, baby boy, baby girl, you're not. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of us at some point of or another has dealt with some individual suffering from this disorder, and we just thought that was just the way they are. But actually, what uh, happens with this uh, with this particular disorder is that whether it's in a book or not, you need to pay attention to this behavior. You can Google and just type in uh, narcissistic personality disorder, and I really want the people that not only are being victimized by it, but those of us that may be suffering from it and we just really don't know, but if other people are telling you that you are exhibiting some of these behaviors. If for nothing else than to be a better person, you might want to get it checked out. Well, that's our show for tonight. America, uh, Australia, the U.K., Canada, and whatever countries I'm not mentioning right now, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you on this Wednesday at noon. You've been listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Have an awesome week. I love you. Good night.